1: Touchdown. should you draft multiple players from the same offense in the early rounds of your fantasy football drafts or is that too much to give up we're going to talk about auction drafts and strategies on today's show and much much more a loaded his Overtime episode. Sean, I'm excited for this one. We're going to try and combine a number of things that people have asked us about over the last couple of weeks into one show, kind of a mailbag. It's always fun talking about fantasy football. Are you ready for this one? I am. You have an auction draft here where you took a little bit of a contrarian
2: stance. We always love that. I think that this team that you drafted fits a lot of what Matt Spencer has argued for in the past in auction drafts. He's gonna be working on some content for the site. Matt is fantastic, so make sure if you're interested in auctions, you kind of keep an eye for when that drops. We've had some questions about auctions for the show, and so I'm really interested to break this down with you, kind of grill you over what you did here, and then we've got some really good listener questions that we are going to answer. Column, i wanted to mention before we get any further that on monday's show i mentioned i'm going to be doing the contest again where i draft with a listener it will be in the ffpc fantasy pros version of their contest that's the 350 dollars entry you will get to share one of my entries we're going to win the million dollars so then you get to share in 500
1: 000 of that, you should the that you say interest. terms and conditions apply at that point where you say we're going to win $1 million. Terms and conditions apply. The team has to win the competition. The team does have to win, but it,
2: I mean, do we even need to worry that much about that portion of the column? So, the way that you get entered is you leave us a rating and review for overtime for Stealing Bananas, the best, most fun. I mean, obviously, we want these to reference things and, and be real in terms of the shows, but creative answers, fun answers, answers about how it's influenced your. Fantasy teams, hopefully in a positive way. Any of those kinds of things, very good responses there. If you have left us a rating and review in the past, we appreciate that so much. Go back in, tweak that. If there's something that you've enjoyed from the show since you left that last review, throw that in. That that'll get you re-entered in. It'll help us with the algorithm. Again, we appreciate all of you so much. Colin, let's dive into this. You are drafting in an industry auction, kind of set the stage for us here. What's the context for this league? Well, we'll try not to grill
1: me too much. You said you're going to grill me. I hope, you know, I'm going to grill you. You, you yeah. got to justify Just what you did in this draft. <laughs> the listeners can grill me as well uh, as they sit and listen along. But the, it was a, an auction draft and a snake draft for people who have been to the fantasy football expo in Canton, Ohio. They may be aware of the Kings classic. I know Curtis Patrick has won it on two occasions. It's kind of expanded over the years this year there were some people who couldn't attend some people even that were there that were still drafting along with the group that i was in but i was not able to attend this year that convention is run by bob lung he was over at the event that i mentioned about in the uk a couple of weeks ago he came to me asked me if i wanted to draft in this so kind of a an international flair to it along with some people who were in attendance so graham barfield was one of the the drafters in this particular group it's a 14 team league so you do a snake draft then it's followed up by an auction so my saturday was spent uh, drafting in a very fun format i haven't done a huge amount of auction drafts but i always find them a lot of fun they can be a little bit more time consuming than your your standard drafts but um yeah i really really enjoyed this one so a tough competition room sean to draft in but hopefully hopefully we'll finish well and this one so it's ppr yeah so you have a, a 14 14 team is that right 14 teams 14 teams
2: So that's going to create some more scarcity. It's going to make it a little Mm -hmm. bit more difficult to hit on all of these stars, especially if you land one of the expensive players. It's going to hurt your ability to get some of the other spots you need. And not only is it 14 team, but this is a deep starting lineup, right? One QB, two running backs, three wide receivers, one tight end, but three flex. And those additional three flexes, I think that that's really interesting column. You can draft up to, or you can start up to six wide receivers. Now this is a max eight, right? So they're trying to keep anybody from going out there and just taking all of the receivers. So
1: I did run up you, against you ran the, up
2: against that limit.
1: Yeah. So uh my let me see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. My ninth pick was my eighth wide receiver. So uh, I ran up against that pretty quick, and there was a few players, and I'll talk about that in a moment that I. You know there was lower dollar bids, that I thought, oh, that would be nice to have have an option to jump in there. But that is all part of the strategy that we'll we'll talk through. So it's a non super flex, um, and the fourteen team is the interesting thing because when you're looking through a lot of ADPs, trying to work out your prices, or you're working through rankings, a lot of those are set up for, um, you know, for or for twelve teams. So it, it's fun part of the process as well to to do that. So when you get into you know the the third, fourth, fifth round you're a lot deeper in the draft than you think by looking at just that pick selection so the, the eight wide receivers was where it maxed out but there is a couple of options when you're you're drafting in this and people do look about strategy and i i kind of put a value pair round and then move that up or down depending on it's the start of the round or the end of the round but just to give some references in this some of the first round players that went to other teams in this for example austin eckler was uh 51 dollars John robinson in this particular draft, was $45. This will give you a reference for some of the players that I selected. Jamar Chase, $60. St. Brown, $48, which in hindsight seems to be a a really nice value there. We get CD Lamb, $48. Justin Jefferson, $62. So a lot of those kind of guys, Christian McCaffrey, $51. So the high-end running backs were in the kind of low to mid-50s. We got the wide receivers at the very high end there, as I mentioned with Jefferson in the, the 60s. And then after that, it starts to kind of taper off downwards. And that'll give you an idea where it plays through. The other one, Travis Kelsey, I was surprised. It's not tight end premium. I was surprised he went $75. He was the most expensive player drafted in this particular draft. So that was interesting, I thought. So that'll give you some context as to where I was going. But for anyone who listened into the Perpetual Reloading Dynasty episode that came out, last Friday we talked about Sean's draft with Bjorn and trying to trade back in the first round second round off those dynasty startups to give yourself that additional value when you're moving forward then in future years for example or having extra picks in the fourth fifth sixth round and my approach in this was it was going to be 14 teams and you mentioned Sean the scarcity at those positions based on just having two extra teams in it but if we have a situation then where you load up and you draft a Travis Kelsey for $75 or you draft certain players in the $60 range as much as you might want them on your roster it is really going to make your team struggle at some of the other positions so my approach going into it was basically I'm trading out of the first round trading out of the second round and I was going to try and load up on picks between rounds three and ten and then try and have a much stronger overall roster from that perspective so technically I, I wasn't trading back but that was my mindset going into it and then one other note when we get to we'll talk about a $200 budget for your total roster so 100% of your budget is $200 I ended up I spent $183 that which was 91.5% so I did leave $17 on the table that could have been used to bet on players there was one player who I'll talk about in a moment that I probably should have continued to bet on but it got to a point and I was like I'm going to $17, and I stop it, and, and then I ended up having those additional dollars left at the end. So I probably could have worked that up, but uh, you know, trying to keep within budget off the roster. So we'll start to talk through, Sean, some of the players, but at that point, have you any questions around the potential strategy before we give away the players to see if the strategy worked, or any thoughts on it? Yeah, so I did want to ask you if this was
2: definitively your plan going in or if it evolved to this is the plan once you saw those early values because again just to give a little bit of a context here you do get Debo Samuel and Jerry Judy guys who are going at the 3-4 turn in 12 team and again this is 14 team but you get them for about the price that you mentioned for a round one guy and especially in a 14 team league where you have deep starting lineups to get a couple of players there to essentially make a trade of a, a player who's going in the 107, 108 range for two guys of that caliber. That seems pretty good to me. You get a Chris Godwin, a George Pickens, those two players together for $34. Again, that kind of wide receiver depth and firepower, that seems very, very positive. But this was clearly your approach to start. It wasn't something where you were consistently bidding on the high value guys and i'm I'm assuming you did a little bit of that at least for some price enforcement (laughs) but
1: this was your plan going in i did i definitely did it for some price enforcement but i was kind of keeping an eye based on like i I would have went for those players if the prices were right and i did bid on some of them but what sean will also see on the sheet that i've shared with him the first player i got was debo samuel it was the 34th player that was nominated so another uh, note for people who haven't played in auction drafts, before basically when your draft pick comes around, you nominate a player and then you bid, and then everyone bids on that particular player. And my approach at the start was kind of a combination of nominating players who I knew that would go for pretty significant amount of amounts of money. Certain running backs I wouldn't want. Sean I, I mentioned Amari Cooper. He was somebody that I nominated. Uh, but my approach there was to try and kind of lower other people's budgets and their strength for competing for some of these other players then moving forward. So that was was my particular reason for that was kind of I, I sat out, but I was also keeping an eye in case something did come up. But a lot of the players that were going in those opening stanzas and even the players who would have went that may have been, you know, by ADP a tenth or an eighth round player, they were going people were eager to spend their money at the start of the draft. <laughs> And that's always
2: interesting because one of the things that I often see in these auction drafts, especially fast drafts, not say one with a 16 hour clock or something to that effect where you get plenty of time to think about it. But in these fast auctions, you often see the very best values right at the beginning before people have the guts or are really mentally calibrated to go after it. And then again, at the end, when people have hit up against maybe some roster limits, like you were mentioning, maybe you have a lot of players who have spent all of their budget and so you don't need to spend anything. And that can be tricky, I think, with your strategy, because if you're trying to get a lot of those round three to round 10 guys, a lot of those values or those players are going to go in the middle where some of the worst pricing often exists, but that's not the case across all auction drafts obviously one of the reasons why auction even much more than snake you've got to go in with a very dynamic mindset it sounds though that people were enthusiastic early and you didn't have to really worry about well do i need to grab this guy because he's going to be undervalued even though i had kind of planned to go in a different direction
1: yeah the prices were kind of right around where i was expecting them to go so if they had been lower i would have i would have went in and made a move but they they were right around or above i thought they would have been so it was easy to kind of sit back and and see other people's getting very good players but their budget's also been pulled down and um was there anyone you were close on not not at the prices okay so Uh, and that was that was more so because of the plan that i had hoped to do the one part that you can you mentioned it perfectly there the part that can happen is like my picks the majority of my picks are from between the player that was nominated for pick 61 and then 120 so in that period i have drafted the majority of my team but there was players in that particular range that i was going for and i was like the the, the price i had said for that player let's say is you know 20 dollars, and it, I, I go to maybe 21 22 and people are still betting and i have kind of then pulled the plug on those ones so i've also missed out on players in that range but i'm i'm very happy with then the players that we have we have come away with. So well, we reveal the roster, Sean, we revealed some of the prices and then we can.
2: Yeah. Let me, let me give the listeners some of these guys and I will then, like I said, grill you about this. I mentioned Debo and Jerry Judy at 26 and 27. That's 13% a piece of your overall budget. You have Godwin and Pickens at 19 and 15. You have Marquise Brown at 13, Quentin Johnson at 12, George sorry, I put a little note there. You have Quentin Johnston at 12, JSN at 11, which is a fantastic price there. And then you've got to go all the way to 10 for Romeo Dobbs. Those are your receivers. So if you look at the receiving group together there, you have eight guys, all of whom are at least 10 bucks. Anybody that you missed on that you had part of the plan any other values other than i assume jsn that you were pretty shocked by anybody that you're just you know really crushed that you didn't get and looking back seems like a fantastic value
1: well, the one player there that i was price enforcing on a little bit that i got caught with and that can't happen in drafts was was marquise brown at 13 so he was my um fourth highest player so it was judy samuel godwin and then Marquis brown at six and a half percent so that was one i kind of got left with what i was most surprised by sean you mentioned but colin that's
2: i mean that's a guy who in the underdog draft we did on monday is yep. the 503 yep. versus a very similar price really especially as you mentioned having 17 dollars left over a similar price for romeo dobbs who went at the 10.09 that's an example i would think of, of price enforcing actually working and for
1: yeah and that was the other thing i was trying not to price for some players that i wouldn't be happy to be left with because that does happen people in in auctions as well that was one that like at the time i was thinking when i was building this team so he was my sixth selection and i was thinking i might need that money somewhere else And as i mentioned i had 17 dollars left over at the end so i didn't what also happened was i made that pick after the jsn pick and i was thinking you know it's only two dollars but it's two dollars more than jsn but what i was most surprised by was the younger players jsn goes for eleven dollars Quentin johnson went for twelve dollars dobbs you mentioned went for ten dollars the the younger players were just very much undervalued i felt in in this particular draft and the other thing was i mentioned you know kelsey went for 75 dollars i thought at that point then the tight end might kind of go out of control but Uh, kyle pitts for example in this one for nine dollars for who i took i got hunter henry for two dollars and dolce's for six dollars so then uh, all of those players combined you know you're getting into seventeen dollars so it's a very small percentage of your total budget which gives you a lot of opportunities then to really and i didn't pay up at wide receiver but pay a little bit more to fill out that depth so you get those eight
2: wide receivers and to me that looks like you're going to have the best receiver group you're also going to have if not the best you're going to be one of the best positioned managers for those three flex spots and as we always talk about if you win the race to fill the flex you usually are very well positioned to win that doesn't mean you're going to win but you position yourself nicely There are some trade-offs, however. You mentioned that you have a good tight end group. I'm excited about that position as well. Tell us a little bit about how QB evolved in this auction. You have Russell Wilson at three. We've talked about him as at least a vaguely interesting guy, I think, in best ball when you have some of these Broncos and Chargers together. That same dynamic doesn't really apply here now you do have jerry judy so you're making a little bit of a bet on that offense and yet in sort of a redraft environment russell wilson does seem like a compromise or consolation type of choice is this an area where you wish you had spent more money is there is this an area where if you had spent more you would have gotten an upgrade or was it really kind of a a tale of two you know, groups where the elite guys were expensive and the cheap guys were more or less all about this price you wouldn't have made any big upgrades by just spending a little bit more
1: yeah so i wasn't tracking quarterback as tightly as i was tracking wide receiver in the other positions throughout and part of that is it's obviously a 14 team league but i expect there to be some options on the waiver wire throughout the season i was kind of thinking more about you know putting those resources elsewhere and probably streaming the position so i take russell wilson for three dollars not my first choice but in terms of the at that point that was pick one six nine so i believe in this particular draft it was 200 selections to be made so it was pushing it into the 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 latter stages but just to give some context for for quarterbacks and obviously some of these quarterbacks are going to be much more valuable just in general but patrick mahomes went for 26 dollars Deshaun Watson was a $7 quarterback. Tua was a $9 quarterback. Rodgers went for $5. Geno Smith went for $1, which was the quarterback, I believe, before I selected. And I felt like I kind of missed out on that. Jordan Love was a $1 quarterback. Hertz went for $21. Lamar Jackson went for $13. Ida Russell Wilson for the $3. Purdy went for $1. Allen was $14. Murray was 2 Trevor Lawrence was 11 Derek Carr was $1. Goff was Wasn't one. Goff was another one that I felt like um i should have probably went in on i was a little bit disappointed by that anthony richardson was one pickett was one jones was seven joe burrow was 16 Tannehill was one prescott was 12 uh, herbert was 10 cousins was four stafford was one the other thing looking through the teams here as i'm doing that there's quite a few teams have actually gone with three quarterbacks so again i would expect some of them to cast some of them aside as the season kicks off here and might give some options as well but uh, my plan was to stream the position Uh, Wilson certainly wasn't my number one option. But when it got to that point of the draft, I felt for the $3 to get him versus the options were going to be left, were all going to be kind of the $1 variety, which I also felt would probably end up back on the waiver wire um, at some point during the season. So not not the most ideal (laughs) quarterback selection, but I, I felt at that point there's still enough potential upside with the new head coach, even though it was an absolute train wreck in 2022 uh, and, and Denver, I thought let's give Russ one more shot here. Sure. Sure. And it will be
2: interesting. We'll get some updates for you during the season to see how that waiver wire element develops.
1: Because and I, I, guess the other, I guess the other point on that is, you know, you're at that point where there's 31 picks to go. All that was left was definitely $1 quarterback. So I thought, You know based on the rankings of the quarterbacks that was left i thought he was worth paying that bit up because at that point you're into players who are only going to be one or two dollar players in general because you've really whittled down through everything else and at that point i knew that i was around you know twenty dollars i wasn't going to have two ten dollar players left so you know he probably has a a one to two dollar quarterback but it's at that point i kind of had to try and spend some money sure
2: sure and you nominate somebody somebody goes over it for two and then you go back over yeah. for three is how you get to that particular price. It will be interesting to track how it develops on the waiver wire. One of the things that I have found in 14 team leagues, I used to play a lot of NFFC classic, which was a 14 team format that was a lot of fun and very challenging. But the quarterback situation there with just those two extra teams did get a little bit. Tighter. Obviously, if everybody has two, then you're at 28. You have people dealing with injuries. You have people dealing with buys, and there can be some pressure there. So it'll be interesting to hear from you how that develops. And I know we have listeners who are playing in 14 team leagues, whether they're this format, an NFFC format, a home league format. Uh, Matt Irby just wrote a really cool article for the site discussing some home league formats and how you would figure out how to win the race to fill the flex in those leagues. So Again, working through the dynamics of leagues that aren't exactly the same as every other league is a lot of fun and something we want to make sure we bring here. But Colin, we're now kind of coming to the crucial moment because the position that you have faded is running back. This is a zero RB team. We love that portion of it.
1: We didn't even mention that at the start, Sean was part of the strategy, but it was it was always gonna be a zero RB team. Always gonna be zero RB. That's that's interesting, I think, because one of the things
2: I do like to do in auctions where you can go for this range of wide receivers in say three through seven or eight, where you're just relentlessly attacking all of the guys that you like, and you have that potential trade down element, is that it does free you up to if you want to go after at least one guy. And so as I think of some of the players we've been targeting, guys like an ETN, a Kenneth Walker, a J.K. Dobbins, a Javante Williams, a James Cook, guys who it would seem like in other years would probably be more expensive. You know, the poster boy for that would be a Brees Hall where you have the injury concerns. Did you consider going in this possibility of, I might get a really good value on a running back and I want to make that a little bit of an anchor. One of the things that I think is kind of fun in auction is to have that anchor RB and then everything else off of that. You've gone the full zero RB. Where was that tension for you? Was it something that you had completely decided beforehand or was dynamic within the course of the auction itself?
1: It was kind of something that I had thought a little bit about. But again, as I mentioned earlier, I was trying to you know, go in at prices that I thought so that, you know, would make sense. I mentioned that my first player was Samuel that was 34 and then my next pick is Judy at 61 and I'm betting on players in between that, but that is the second player I was able to buy. Um, James Cook went at pick 59. He went for $16. And in hindsight, I could, I could have went more on that pick, but my thought was then at that particular point with the strategy I'd set up to try and build it out through those kind of middle value wide receivers if i bid that up to say 17 even if it goes up to 22 then at that point i'm kind of not set up to kind of accomplish what i want to throughout the rest of the draft so that was one of them Brees hall went to pick 26 he went for 29 um so that was earlier and above more than i was kind of trying to spend with this plan the one sean that i the player that i really regret not going for in this particular draft i i did take Chuba hubbard for one dollar which i think is is pretty nice uh as my last selection but the player that I didn't go for was A-Chain um I, I was bidding up there was a, a guy in the draft that we were kind of bidding for the same players um there was a lot of the same profiles that we were trying to draft you know I, me and him were against each other on, on T Higgins for quite a while but James Cook was another one we were against each other but A-Chain was somebody who we I got to $16 and I stopped and now that I had the $17 left at the end knowing what happened I wish I just kept going but then I I took Jalen Warren for $16 which was 8% of the budget and it was me and him on that player again so we kind of split it one and one but I probably in hindsight would rather have got A-chain than Warren and with both of that in mind I would rather get both so the way the the running back position rounded out for me I have Charbonnet was $6 Warren was $16 Damian Harris was $9 and Hubbard was $1. So there's no doubt about it, running back is the the weakest position off this roster. But yeah, the one that I, and I, you know, as the season goes on, that might prove to be good for me or bad for me, but uh, we drafted him on the Monday draft and then the BBM four. So uh, A-chain is the one there that I felt like I missed out on.
2: And again, we get a little bit of an interesting window into how auctions work because obviously Charbonnet is more expensive in snake drafts. Jalen Warren or Damian Harris. He's the 120th guy to come off the board. So in a little bit of a window there between where drafters are saying, okay, well, I actually have some money left. I can go a little bit higher. And when they're trying to wait for those last targets, you sneak a guy in there at a very good price. You mentioned having the $17 left over. That's obviously not ideal. And yet I want to remind listeners who are about to do auctions here over the next couple weeks that it's not always about the money that you have left over. There's some real advantage to having leverage within the draft. And so if you can control certain parts of the auction because of what your stack is at that point, it gives you some opportunities that you wouldn't have if you end up getting down to where you spend everything and you're making a lot of $1 bids at the end. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it either. I think that can be a very effective way. You just want to think through what the trade-offs are and what the strengths and weaknesses of the different approaches when you get into that middle of the draft say from the 100th nominated player through to the end
1: yeah that's a very good point and uh, it did allow me at certain points when I'm bidding on some of those players you know it's like doing it in the online version it's very quick I click they click I click they click it's very back and forth but there was times where it was like kind of I knew I could just you know click three more times and they backed off and that was because I had that additional uh, budget left so yeah uh, it was a real fun time we'll see how this goes I know we get a good few questions in for auctions. I usually divert them the way of uh, Dave Cabin because he is the guy that I defer to on all auction strategy. But hopefully people have enjoyed listening to this part of today's show as we dive into auctions one of my absolute favorite things in the entire world is attending a live events the atmosphere the sound all the little intricate details you can see when you're there live in person it is just an amazing time one of the biggest downsides though of it can be the stress and trying to find tickets before the event to make sure you get the best seats and that is where game time comes in buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports music comedy and theater theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee you can stop stressing over tickets start getting hyped for the fun that you're about to have game time is the place to get those last minute ticket deals and it's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason exclusive flash deals on all the events coming up and you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds two taps and you're set and you can snag tickets today without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use the code ROTOVIS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply, again, create an account and redeem code ROTOVIS for $20 off. Download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
1: so sean moving on now to some of the listener submitted questions we have a question from michael and it's about taking same player or same offensive team players in the early round so good examples of this this year would be the Bengals, eagles the dolphins you could even put in the 49ers potentially you know debo's going a little bit later but christian mccaffrey and debo pairing those guys together so the question is um hey colin enjoy listening to the forward thinking concepts on the show he said i was hoping that you'd be able to touch on this with sean in one of your future episodes so in a 12 team league home or nffc redraft league so I, I think you could do this in pretty much all formats sean it could be ffpc it could be any format it could be uh, bbm doesn't really matter but would you draft jill and waddle in round two if you had already selected tyreek hill early in the first uh, or would you prefer to pair hill with the likes of Olave, Devontae, Smith, or Higgins. And this was something that you mentioned when we were doing the draft. We did draft Waddle, and you had said that with some of the injury, or not injury, but camp news, that he has fallen to the back of the second round sometimes. That would mean with a hill, for example, usually going at the fourth pick or the fifth pick or the sixth pick, you could pair those guys up in the first and second round. And then, obviously, you could go and stack that with your quarterback later if it was a best ball format, maybe not as important in the, the redraft setting. How do you, I'll, I'll let you go first and then I'll I'll probably have nothing to add because Sean will answer this so perfectly, but Sean, what do you think here? When I'm looking at this in a
2: 12-team home league, especially, and then if I'm looking at it in other types of high stakes redraft leagues, the players being on the same team doesn't make that much difference to me because we're not thinking about the same types of incentives that you would have in best ball Maybe on a week-to-week basis where they're filling in for each other. One of the reasons that you would do it would be thinking that you're making a bet on an offense. And so if a QB stays healthy, and that's one of the things that we saw last season, is we had this big gulf between the haves and the have-nots in terms of, number one, if their offense worked at all, and then number two, if their quarterback stayed healthy. And if you get on the have-not side of that, you could get really destroyed. And so there were some situations where having guys from the same team would help. That said, there are also some situations where it's certainly not ideal. Because we look at this and think, as soon as you've drafted one of these guys early, you've already made the bet that that offense is going to work well enough for that specific player to blow up. So especially then in in a 12-team home league, you're thinking, well... If I draft Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle gets hurt, then he'll get this even additional bump in his volume, where now suddenly really nobody in the NFL can probably compete with him from that perspective. If you're drafting Jalen Waddle in round two and Tyreek Hill gets hurt, when well, you're looking at Jalen Waddle as being like the third guy after, say, a Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup from a, the types of volume things that we're looking at, and then you know maybe a jamar chase can get in there and compete so we don't want players to get hurt we're certainly not rooting for that but we do know that it does happen and especially for the best guys if maybe the other guy goes down and you're thinking about a team that maybe has a three player group where you know maybe tyler boyd factors in for the Bengals and siphons off some important targets but there are is an opportunity here for the player to absolutely explode when his teammate goes down that, you know, you don't get if you have both of them because the main thing that happens to you then is that you are torpedoed by that teammate injury. But the main thing I'm just looking at here is where do I have these guys in my rankings and how am I looking at it in a vacuum? I'm not going to avoid or target a player in a 12 team home league where my goal is to win amongst that group of 11 other people, I want to draft the best players. And if they end up on the same team, that's all right. But I'm certainly not pushing to do that. I think that in most of these cases, you're really going to want to have one of the other. And you can even think of it from the perspective of that final week. You want it to be your guy who goes off in the championship If you draft them both, then you are kind of locking yourself into also taking the QB, which maybe you would kind of wanted to do anyway. And if the QB is a clear target, then it makes it a little bit more palatable to select both of the guys together. But in a lot of these cases, you want to have the flexibility to see who's going to be the value in your draft. You don't want to be locked into the mindset of, okay, I'm going to take Tua or I'm going to take Burrow or I'm going to take a specific guy here. I'm going to take the best value as the draft actually evolves and I'm going to get my guy at the quarterback position as well without that additional pressure. So those are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about in 12-team home leagues. I don't think that there's a right way or a wrong way, but you certainly want to think through what the trade-offs are and make the right pick for you.
1: And I think as well, you mentioned, you know, the quarterback, I think this is where people may find it hard if they're doing their redraft leagues you know in the next couple of weeks is if they have been playing best ball to you know we we talk a lot about playing different formats to keep all the kind of muscles moving in your brain for those drafts and those selections and it might be hard for people to come out of what we're doing in best ball to go into redraft and we have had some call outs for more redraft content there will be more redraft content coming over the foreseeable weeks coming forward here and we'll be doing some of our own redraft stuff as well. So there's lots coming up. We're trying to cater to all different things, but that is something that you know if you're playing in a basketball draft, people are probably saying like that, that's completely the right thing to do. But Sean has summed it up there very well for a 12 team league. And you know, it's not as important to have team stacks. It's not as important either to really fill out those stacks. One even if you want to go quarterback one receiver, for example, or quarterback tight end, you don't want you don't need to overdo it when you're only trying to compete against 12 other people it may be a case if you're talking about for example sean the main event or the uh fantasy pros championship over at the ffpc playing in those and you get to the final weeks and you're really trying to have something that's going to really push over the line against a massive field or if you're playing in bbm4 against a huge field that you're trying to beat it's very much a different process to trying to you know be the best of those 12 teams the final question on today's show, Sean, comes in from Cowbells for Cowbells. It is around dynasty rankings, and I guess how you do them or why maybe players might be different. We do this when we're doing our drafts. We talk about we did it on our recent draft that came out on Monday, talking about you know rankings versus ADP and where to take players. And there is some of that that'll come into this, I'm sure, as well. But the player in question for part one is Darn Waller now with the Giants. He asked, "Why is Sean?" So low on Waller and Dynasty, a high volume situation and tight end premium, plus sharps and best ball have him going in the fourth round. And the second player, we'll answer these separately. We did talk a little bit about this on Monday show, Sean. It is Michael Wilson. It's a, a different quality of player, but seems way too low on Michael Wilson's steady drumbeat. And camp likely to secure a starting role and has alpha size, decent production tier 10 seems very off and this is a question i guess i'll add in for it is when you get into tier 10 versus team tier 11 or tier 10 versus tier 9 how close are are some of those calls then for you when you get down to those later tiers of dynasty positions
2: yeah a lot of those guys in that range can move quite a bit because their dynasty value is much more contingent on some short-term things that could boost them significantly, but probably not into a range where they suddenly become difference makers. For example, I loved both of these two questions because they are you know, very appropriate for where we are now and looking through kind of from a targeted perspective, you know, which guys might be off. And the thing that I'll say about this is that when we get these kinds of questions and we occasionally get them to emails to the site, uh, certainly I love getting them to the show so we can talk on them on the show. I take all of these very seriously because I think our readers and our listeners are really good at figuring out player value. And so if they have a problem with one of my rankings, I take that into consideration, right? And you look through and you look at what the assumptions were that created the ranking in the first place. And then you also look at it from the perspective of not like pushing back and saying, no, no, I'm right, you're wrong. But, you know, where might this guy need to move a little bit? And so I actually moved both of these players up after working through this and yet i'm still going to be below the consensus and here's kind of why on both guys so for waller we have a 30 year old player who is changing teams going into a situation where you have at least a mild hybrid qb who probably knocks down the overall passing volume for the giants and you have a situation where There are no alpha receivers, and yet there are a lot of intriguing receivers. And so the possibilities for individual guys siphoning volume at key moments, I think it may be a little bit understated. And so in both of these situations, the camp buzz is very positive. We talked a little bit on the underdog draft show about keeping these things kind of in context. So the first thing I would say is I think that the camp buzz on both of these guys is meaningful and yet also overstated by the community as a whole in terms of where they're going. When I see Waller ahead of some of the stars in tight end premium, that I think is incorrect. Now, again, it's not saying that there's not a range of outcomes where he beats that, but you look at Blair's research on bounce backs. One of the issues there is that age is definitely a factor and... Injuries are a factor and not in the way that people would think, where injuries are kind of an excuse. They're actually a big problem. And so when we're looking at it from a dynasty perspective, how much do we really think that Waller is going to be able to give us? And Waller is interesting because he's kind of priced in that range where there is some tension between short-term incentive and a longer-term viewpoint. One of our elements of Dynasty that we do like to emphasize is that people tend to be too conservative early and too risk-taking late. And Waller kind of straddles that to where if you get Waller in the range where he's falling below players who are almost lottery ticket types of selections, and that's kind of where I had him priced, which is one of the reasons why I did move him up. But then you have an exploitable opportunity to select him and win with him, and then you can move on without it killing you. But one of the issues that we have that's fairly straightforward is that when you have a 30-year-old and you do need to bounce back in an offensive situation that probably still isn't very good, even if he is the number one, you don't have this opportunity to play him for a couple of years and trade him at the end of that for peak value unless he goes off and has the kinds of season that we're seeing from a Travis Kelsey, which is just going to be tough for anybody. The fact that Travis Kelsey has been so good as he moves into his 30s is probably giving us too much confidence in a player being able to bounce back and have the type of season to where Waller would be a strong pick in fourth round in tied in premium in redraft or where he would be a good selection higher than I have him in Dynasty. So that's kind of the set of, of trade-offs that we're looking at with him. Michael Wilson, as the listener mentions is a very different type of player. I guess he's the kind of player that I really want to fade until he proves himself because he has such a long track record of not really doing anything. And so we look at Wilson. He does have the alpha size, but the peripherals there are not particularly good. He's got a 19th percentile 40 yard dash. You have In just average, basically shuttle, cone, broad, vert types of times, he's not one of these guys who's coming in and giving you the size and explosiveness that you're going to look at him and say, okay, I'm going to forgive the complete lack of production in the past because he's this freak athlete. I mean, he's not like a Jonathan Mingo, Chase Claypool, DJ Chark type of guy to where you're thinking the right situation unlocks him. He's also not so unathletic that you would ignore it completely. And he does have the size to where if you're going to succeed with sort of middling athleticism, it would be a guy who is that kind of size profile. So possibilities there. Well, we look at him in the box score scout and we see a player who has five different seasons at Stanford. The only one where he was really able to stay healthy was all the way back in 2019 that season He plays in 11 games, goes for 672 yards, does get the five touchdowns, not a lot of explosiveness, though, you know, 12 yards per reception, also just 1.66 yards per team attempt. That's one of the issues that you go through with Wilson is that not only was he unproductive from a raw perspective, and not only did he have trouble staying healthy and playing in hardly any games, but when he was healthy, the production was also poor. And that kind of continued over to his final season in 2022, where, yes, he does score four touchdowns in just six games which helps him get up to a 30 percent dominator but even there and at a career high of 2.07 yards per team attempt those numbers are troubling you have him overdrafted by a team that's looking at him and saying okay well this is a guy where if he'd stayed healthy then we think he would have been drafted much earlier and you're looking at the dynamic then where you you're getting some camp buzz but there are some other interesting players it's not like he necessarily just slots in they have a Marquise Brown they have Rondell Moore I think Moore's lack of health which again we're kind of a similar situation where Michael Wilson has also been unable to stay healthy but Moore's lack of health creates this perception that maybe there's more opportunity than there is if you're a skeptic or or, someone who is a glass half full type of drafter then you're probably saying well I don't expect either of those guys to be healthy after week three or four so it doesn't matter either way I'm much more of an optimist, so I like Moore's chance to bounce back. I do you know, love to root for these guys like a Michael Wilson. You have the tight ends there. You have Kyler Murray maybe coming back earlier. I just think there's a, a lot that we still need to know. I, I guess I wouldn't trust the idea that he looks good in camp as being that relevant when he has such a long resume that points in a very different direction and doesn't appear to have special athleticism and yet again when you have a wide range of outcomes guy when you have a guy that the team has overdrafted which you know they're telling you that they also think maybe he should be more and you have a situation that's so in flux there is a possibility here so i have moved him up my rankings a little bit still not really to where he is going so i'm going to be a little bit below the consensus i think this is a good guy to keep tracking these players who have a very wide range of outcomes but have an interesting possibilities and certainly you're talking about a team like the Arizona Cardinals that doesn't get a ton of coverage. There could be an exploitable opportunity there if you are in ahead of your league mate. So I've moved both these guys up a little bit. I'm still kind of skeptical on both I kind of explain why I have them where I do. But I love this question. I think it's really valuable to think through each of the two situations as well. That's one of the things that we're kind of trying to do on every single player that we rank, but
1: certainly on controversial players like this. Yeah, and I think that'll help a lot of people listening. Very good question again coming in from Cowbells, but love these questions that come in because they're things that are maybe outside of the box that me or Sean may think of taking on as a topic to his show. So if you have any questions, and I find that this is usually a good prompt is when I say this at the end of the shows, I get a couple of emails and I usually then forget to say it for a few shows. And then when I send it, there's more questions. So you can send them to me on Twitter at over You can also email them across at road radio at gmail.com. We'll try and get some of them on some of the upcoming shows. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode. We also did a baseball mini of four draft. As I've mentioned a few times on the show that came out on Monday, head back and check that out. Myself and Sean think we have drafted the winning team for the entire contest with that draft. If you are signing up as well over at rotoviz.com, you can use the code rvradio 2023 at checkout. That'll get you a 10% discount off a Rotoviz NFL pass. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at over to My co-host, as always, is Sean Siegel. Check out Sean's work up on rotoviz.com. And until we are back on Friday, have a good one.